0: Hi, my friend. I hope you've been finding this podcast helpful. Well, I have some good news for you. I have created the Decoding Obesity community just for you. This is a safe and judgment-free space for finding the accountability you need so that you can get started on your weight loss journey right away. And it's completely free. So head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook to sign up. I'll see you in the community.
1: This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal.
0: We know that our diets play a big role in obesity, which in turn has an impact on our cardiovascular health. But can food directly have an effect on atherosclerosis and our cardiovascular health? Hi friends, welcome to this episode of the Decoding Obesity podcast. I have a very special guest today, Dr. Puri Parwani, and we're going to discuss all about this. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening, and this way you will get notified about the latest episodes that get released. I have known Dr. Parwani for a very long time, and I'm so excited that she's here with me today. She's a practicing cardiologist and an assistant professor of medicine in the Department of Cardiology at Loma Linda University. Dr. Parwani completed her residency at the University of Connecticut Medical Center and a cardiology fellowship at University of Oklahoma. She completed a year of preventative cardiology fellowship at Hartford Hospital. She then went on to do an advanced cardiovascular imaging fellowship at University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Parwani is both certified in internal medicine, nuclear cardiology, echocardiography, and cardiovascular disease. She firmly believes that cardiovascular health starts with physical well-being and focuses on lifestyle modification, exercise, diet, and yoga for all her patients. Welcome, Furvi. How are you doing?
2: Thank you, Avishkar. I'm so excited to be here. I'm doing well and I'm really honored to be on your podcast. I know how well you have done. And, you know, when I saw you hosting your podcast and when I listened to it, I thought it was a great opportunity for me to come and contribute to some of the data that you have been presenting to your listeners.
0: Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to have a celebrity amongst us. So that's that's good, right? <laughs> so, Purvi, let's start by, you know, just explaining what atherosclerosis is to our listeners. So what can our listeners know about atherosclerosis? This is a term we use technically in medicine. Yeah. Yeah, let's just simplify it for them.
2: Yeah. So I think in simple words, when I think about atherosclerosis, it's hardening of the blood vessels, you know, our cardiovascular system is what moves the blood throughout the body and it delivers the oxygen and nutrients to our tissues and cells. So think of the cardiovascular system, it's kind of like the pipelines of the body. So the way we have pipes in our house to deliver water supply, the same way these pipelines in the body transport the blood from the heart to the different organs. So when you are young and healthy, these are big enough to deliver the blood to flow easily through the vessels. And, you know, the walls are very elastic so that they can expand and contract very easily. But as we grow older, these arteries harden up because of the plaque, which is made purely of cholesterol. And then there is fat and calcium and everything kind of builds up within the vessel. And this process is basically called atherosclerosis.
0: Right. And even atherosclerosis, when I remember reading it a long, long time ago in medical school, and I think even the science of atherosclerosis has evolved, right? Like what the plaques are made of and how they're actually made, the whole physiology also, and we're discovering newer and newer things about atherosclerosis itself. So when exactly does it start in life?
2: That's a great question. You know, you're absolutely right. There are like new ways that these pathophysiological mechanisms are being discovered. And what's exciting about it is that, They become the pathways, you know, where treatment options can go and be targeted. So atherosclerosis actually starts the day we are born. The regeneration, the the process of degeneration, it starts very early. It starts in the childhood. Uh, You know, it gets worse as the age advances. And, you know, actually, it's uh, one of the very first evidence of the early atherosclerosis that's found in the autopsy studies that were done you know, in young soldiers that were killed in the Korean War. So in spite of being very young, like uh, within 20 to 22 years, 70% of them had some sort of atherosclerosis in the vessels of their heart. And similarly, whenever they have dissected like a large population that covers from young children to people later in the age, what they have found is that there are fatty streaks that are, you know, part of this atherosclerotic process in the kids that were even less than one year old and every time as the age advances, this process keep on increasing. So you know it's a it's very, very early, right? Yeah, it's a very early process that starts, and that's why I think at different stages of this process, there are different targets that we can you know target for the therapeutic goals.
0: Yeah, and I don't want listeners to get despondent because I'm sure you have some exciting news about how we can modulate all of this with our diet. Because I know there is some data to suggest that can be done with diet. But before we go to that, I think what I want to know is, do we know what really starts this?
2: Yeah, so I think what starts atherosclerosis is basically these are deposits of fats and cholesterol that accumulate in the vessels, in the medium-sized and big vessels. And then the cholesterol, it gets deposited into the cells called macrophage, and these cells are called foam cells. You may have heard of that. Yeah. And this cholesterol is basically the LDL cholesterol that becomes oxidized. So LDL is the bad cholesterol for all your listeners and HDL is the good cholesterol. So this is the LDL cholesterol that gets oxidized and eventually this atherosclerotic process hardens and there is more calcium in it and that basically can happen anywhere in the body including the arteries of the heart, brain, you know, legs, intestines and Because of that, different disease can develop depending on what arteries are affected. And it can put you at a higher risk of heart attack, strokes, or peripheral vascular disease.
0: So I think the next question is, and I'm sure people are going to be asking this is, is it reversible? I mean, if it's going to start as early as young childhood, is it reversible? Is there something that we can do to reverse this disease?
2: No, that's an excellent question. And in fact, I would tell you that this is a question that most of my patients ask me in my clinic. And it's a complex question also, right? Because as I told you, plaque is a very complex structure. Plaque itself is an organ and there is like a process of plaque initiation, progression, rupture, and then finally, you know, whatever outcome that we see happen. But to answer your question, there is evidence that coronary artery disease can be reversible. And again, the data comes from the autopsy studies that were performed on the people who lived through these Starvation during the World War II. So surprisingly, their coronary arteries show little or no atherosclerosis. But as the economy, you know, bounced back and the diet improved, atherosclerosis returned. And since then, we have seen how because of atherosclerosis, there is more and more a heart attack and the stroke rates that are going up. So in 1990s, Ornish Dean Ornish, one of the internal medicine physicians yeah. <laughs> at UCSF. I'm sure a lot of you have listened to this before, heard about this data before, but I think he was the first one to claim that, you know, reversal of atherosclerosis is possible predominantly by a vegetarian diet. And he kept that diet with less than 10% fat. And I think you're gonna, you know, we'll discuss about this data further Then Esselstyn from Cleveland. I was going to say, Yeah, Yeah,
0: I was going to say, because he has a very strict diet. He says no fat at all. He says completely plant-based and no fat because any amount of fat, whether unsaturated or polyunsaturated, monounsaturated, saturated, any fat can cause decreased nitric oxide activity in the blood vessels. And so that's why it's not good for cardiovascular health. And he did have some data with very the population size of his studies was very small, but there was significant improvement though with a whole food plant based diet without any oil, without any added so also, yeah.
2: Yeah, so I think you're right. You're absolutely right about what Silston, es- you know, claimed and what data he used and what diet he was recommending. And he still recommends very low fat diet. And I think Ornish's diet, on the other hand, he did have, you know, I think he incorporated, I wanna say probably milk in his vegetarian a little bit of milk in his vegetarian diet in the study that he did. So Ornish did, you know, randomized control trial, but it was not blinded. Esselstyn, on the other hand, he selected people. He said that he was going to do a randomized control trial, but it was not a randomized control trial. So in the world of medicine, we know that anything that is not randomized control trial and the claims based on that data are weaker than the, the randomized control trial. So Esselstyn, what he did was he just followed people for a prolonged time he gave them this really strict diet with adherence. you know, I'm hundred percent plant based. But you know, looking at his diet, it would be difficult to, you know, follow. He allows no oil, even olive oil, at all. He just says that boil the vegetables and eat it. And in fact <laughs> he says that if you eat green leafy vegetable, it produces enough nitric oxide that you won't need nitrates anymore, right? So I have seen, you know, the anecdotal examples of the coronary angiograms that he posts and the pet studies and stuff. But I think it is a controversial data. It's just too good to believe, I would say that. And same with Ornish's data, and we'll talk about it more in detail. But I think those were, I mean, this whole food plant-based diet, you know, was the first one to claim that, you know, it can lead to reversal of atherosclerosis. And they did it by publishing these pictures of angiograms before and after the diet, right. etc. Now, when we look at statins, so when the statins came into market, you know, there was like this new possibility that reversing coronary artery disease would be possible. But so far, all the studies with cholesterol lowering with statins have some of a uh, mixed results. So we don't know whether statins lead disappearance of atherosclerosis But what we know that even in spite they don't lead to shrinking of the plaque, they do reduce the rates of heart attack and stroke, right? right. right? And they do it, we know, because they decrease the amount of fat that is inside the plaque. They stabilize the plaque by putting cover on it and... They calm down that inflammation that happens in this atherosclerotic plaque. And we know that the drier, the ha- tighter, you know, harder these plaques become, the tougher it is to break open and cause heart attacks, right? Another medicine on the market, the new medicine, you may have heard of it called Wasepa, yeah, which basically recently they had, you know, study published in Jack into the, I think, like late 2020 where they examined 80 patients and they had triglyceride level anywhere from 325 to 500. And then they showed that with, you know, Vasepa, 4 grams per day, it causes overall reduction in the attenuation plaque volume that they measured on the CT scan of the heart. So I think that as far as I know, when it comes to diet, this whole fluid plant-based diet claim, which in my opinion is a bit of controversy rather than, you know, it's too good to be true. But I definitely do think that diet plays a major role in development of atherosclerosis and diet is definitely beneficial. But I do tell my patients that I'm not sure, you know, reversal of the atherosclerotic plaque is possible looking at the data that is existing right now.
0: So if diet is controversial about the reversal of the plaque, what about progression of the plaque? Is there any diet that will worsen the plaque directly by the fact of that diet or is it just related to the other complications from that diet like hyperlipidemia or high cholesterol or obesity, stuff like that?
2: No, I mean, you know, you're absolutely right. I think that's the reason why we are discussing this topic today, (laughs) right? So I do think that diet and lifestyle play a major role in development of atherosclerosis you know, in fact, I tell my patients that atherosclerosis is diet disease. It's a lifestyle disease. It's a disease of inflammation. And diet has all these associations with inflammation. So as I was telling you, you know, it's basically this chronic inflammation of vulnerable locations in the vessels. And then the LDL cholesterol has to be oxidized. So if you think about it, two major things that happen. Number one, the cholesterol deposits happen. And then the number two, LDL gets oxidized and goes into those foam cells that accumulate at the location. So if you think about it, cholesterol is the main culprit. And how do we got cholesterol? It's predominantly by consumption of dietary cholesterol and saturated fats. So naturally, because of this process, The food that are lower in dietary cholesterol and particularly saturated fats and higher in antioxidant that avoid any oxidation would help the process. And I think that...
0: And those would be the whole food plant-based, right?
2: Yeah, I think (laughs) we can discuss the foods. But, you know, I really want to mention the... I'm not sure if you have heard of the Blue Zones. Uh, Yeah, Right. So there are like five regions in the world right. that had highest concentration of people that live at the longest. Right. In Greece, Japan. And actually, the only one in United States is where right now I'm sitting in Loma, <laughs> Loma Linda. <laughs> it's actually in Loma Linda, California. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and, it is. and I think that I mean, consider myself lucky to be working here. But why I'm mentioning blue zones is because when I look at the outcomes of the patients in blue zones, it's better. And there is evidently less atherosclerosis in these patients. And diet plays a major role, right? Right. Along with sense of community and sense of purpose and religious affiliation and exercise that is seen in almost every blue zone. And, you know, I can tell you what's common between all these blue zones that are evidently, you know, where patients are doing so well and there's less evidence of, you know, heart attacks and stroke is because all their diet is rich in unprocessed food. There's tons of vegetables and fruits. There's tons of nuts, legumes, beans, and in some places, fish. So I think that this whole dietary equation, in my opinion, it's very simple. It's not necessarily whole food plant-based diet that is prevalent in all these blue zones, but somehow these patients, these people are doing okay and living long. So there's more to the game than just uh, that.
0: So let's talk about the data, the, all the controversy about it. Now, I know, it's, you know we can piece out data step by step, but let's just talk about the bigger picture so that everybody can understand what the controversies are and what you see in your practice with regards to the whole food plant-based diet or the Esselstein diet or the Dean Ornish diet or any of those diets which you've seen with regards to cardiovascular outcomes in your patients?
2: Yeah. So I think the Ornish data, the problem, you know, the Ornish data is that it was not just, you know, whole food plant-based diet, right? So Ornish right. believed in, you know, mindfulness. He believed yeah. in Yeah, it was a yoga. combination
0: of a lot of things.
2: Yes, yes. So stress reduction, you know, it was combination of a lot of things that he offers now in his the heart reversal program that is part, you know, that basically can be approved by Medicare. I don't know if you know that for cardiac yeah. rehab.
0: Yes. I think his and predikin program are the two ones, two that are approved, right?
2: You, you're correct. Yes. So I think what he reported is the change in the coronary stenosis. So, you know, the blockage, the way we measure blockage is basically by eyeballing. But he used this method where he measured those blockage. And I don't know if your listeners know this, but Typically, we put a stent in the patient who has blockage of more than 70%. And, you know, anything less than 70%, it's mainly lifestyle modification. Now, Ornish reported a very minuscule change because of the whole food plant-based diet. Believe it or not, it was only less than 5%. So you can imagine how... You know, like I call something 15% blockage versus 10% blockage. It's very variable. Because it's all
0: eyeball anyway.
2: Exactly. But he used a method called QCA, which, you know, which we don't use. And it has significant limitations. And plus, you know, when you're combining the exercise, the smoking cessation and the stress reduction to put it all on plant-based diet, I'm not sure the reversal claim was, you know, right. All these patients had less outcome, you know, less cardiovascular mortality or they died less because of heart attacks and they had less heart attacks in general. And that's probably because of the diet and combination of other things. But what all I was saying is the reversal may not be a true claim. Now, there is a lot of other evidence. There is a lot of evidence that, you know, how diet helps indirectly if, you know, if you just take out this whole reversal claim out then you know definitely whole food plant-based diet you know it's good the diet that is rich in plants fruits, vegetables, legumes, it's good for us. You know, it decreases the inflammation. We have seen studies with low CRP, which is marker of inflammation. It decreases blood pressure. You know, it decreases something called the lipoprotein A, which, you know, has been associated with heart attacks and strokes before. And there have been also small studies that show that whole food plant-based diet also can improve the gene expression. So we all are you know, born with uh, some set of genes and these genes can be good genes but or bad genes, but whole food plant-based diet in small animal studies have shown that uh, they will increase the expression of the good genes that are good for our cholesterol metabolism and overall metabolism. And unhealthy genes can basically shut up when you are predominantly on a healthy whole food plant-based diet, right? But if we kind of go away from the plant-based diet, PREDIMED was the, you know, randomized controlled trial that everyone in cardiology and even in, you know, obesity world talk about, (laughs) right? So in that study, you know, they basically combined Mediterranean diet with uh, olive oil and they saw that people who were on this diet compared to the traditional diet had 30% decrease in cardiovascular disease. And again, if, when we look at the Mediterranean diet, it's high intake of olive oil, nuts, vegetables, and they, they do consume some fish, but there's low intake of dairy products and definitely red meats and definitely any of the processed meats right. and sweets, right? So, So I think that, again, as I was telling you, that there is very common phenomena in all these diets that is you know, processed food is not a good thing for our body, you know, (laughs) Uh, I think if we go back to the way we used to live, that's good. And I think, you know, the other thing is there was like a population study, I want to say, which was published like last year. And what they examined was, you know, if you take any sort of healthy eating pattern, be it Mediterranean diet, be it a plant-based diet, they took four type of healthy eating patterns and what they saw was people when they were adherent to the good healthy habits, their outcomes were better than compared to the ones For for cardiovascular disease. So I think, again, you know, atherosclerosis, I told you, there's not much data out there, right? Because no one goes and measures what is the plaque. Of course, yeah,
0: so our indirect data is from the cardiovascular outcomes. Exactly,
2: right? So if you have cardiovascular outcomes, you know, that kind of gives you indirect evidence. If the patients do okay, that means that there must be something happening right. And that's why I gave you the example of blue zones because it's, again, indirect evidence of you know, thousands of years that these people have done okay.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of all the blue zone diets and uh, what they basically eat over there. And it essentially is kind of common, right? They eat predominantly plants. They do eat a little bit of fish. They do consume a little bit of dairy, but it's not the predominant thing in their diet. And it's very little red meat, if any, but it's predominantly a plant-based diet. So no, definitely I agree with you. So Purvi, what can people start doing at home today
2: This is what I tell my patients, you know, once you gain the knowledge of what's good for you, and you once you decide, you know, what you can do, uh, staying within your own parameters, because not everyone has the 100% capability tomorrow for going, you know, like going 100% plant, right? So <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so I think once you decide that, I think I have realized that food and lifestyle is a marathon for our patients and for most of the people on this earth, right? Food is one of the addictions we all have, right? So, right. so I think that choosing the right ingredients, choosing, you know, less processed food, choosing the fresh ingredients is the important thing. I think the other most important thing which I do every single day is meal prepping. I think that once you meal prep and once you know what you're going to take tomorrow for lunch to work and then what you're going to munch in between when, you know, you get hungry, you're good because, you know, you you already have a plan for it. So you won't go for those cookies that are lying on a counter in your office Right. So
0: that's certainly not whole food plant based. Exactly.
2: Right. (laughs) But people do this. Right. People get hungry. Hunger is the main thing. People get hungry and then they go for anything that's available in the cafeteria. But if you meal prep and if you bring your own food that you have prepared with the fresh ingredients that you have chosen, then I think the equation is very simple, in my opinion. The other thing I I strongly believe in is, you know, stress reduction. So I told you about the whole oxidization and the, you know, the vulnerable plaque, the atherosclerotic plaque that is oxidized and vulnerable is the risk, you know, for, for cardiovascular events. So stress reduction technique is very important. And I think we all need to have techniques whenever we are in stressful situation how are we going to get out of that situation and that comes with some sort of priming that you have to do every single day so for me personally it is um, you know meditation every morning when i wake up i have 20 minutes meditation and then you know yoga Uh, and in pandemic uh, no one can go to any classes or anything so i have (laughs) i have designed my own you know routine for myself But I think that's very important because once you know how to calm yourself down in stressful situation, I think it changes a lot at the molecular level in our body. So I think it's very important. And I think munching on exercise is important. So anytime you get a chance to move, you're going to move. And I I think that's the philosophy we all ought to have, right? So whenever it's elevators versus stairs, you know, you're gonna take stairs. My trainees hate me, but (laughs) <laughs> even if I have, a, even if I have a consult on the ninth floor, I make sure I make everyone take the stairs because you know that's right. the. Sometimes when we have busy lifestyle, that's the only exercise you're gonna get. I have a small table bike under my table.
0: Yeah, um, I think that's become very popular now, right? The, yes, the table bike.
2: And it's so good because you almost hit your you know, target, staying there, you know, on the office as I'm reading my studies.
0: I like the way you put it. You should munch on your physical activity. I like the way you put it in. Then it's a marathon. So it definitely is a marathon. Yeah. Eating healthy. It's not a one day thing. You have to do it for your life. Yeah. And you pointed out about the stress reduction. So listeners, I do have an episode on stress reduction. If you haven't listened to that, you can check out episode number eight. You can go to www.decodingobecity.com forward slash EP8. That's the episode on stress reduction where we discuss all about how you can reduce your stress because that certainly helps with reducing the overall inflammatory processes going on in your body as well.
2: Yeah, that's great. I have to listen to that one too. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So this has been such a fruitful uh, discussion, Purvi. I actually learned a few things uh, myself today. Do you have any parting thoughts?
2: Yeah. So I think that when I look at nutritional science, it can be very confusing, right? I mean, as you know, I'm quite active on Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, I when I look at these online nutritional communities, they are very rigid. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I don't think that I support any of that. Although I am, as I've claimed, you know, many times that, you know, I'm 100% plant-based, but I don't believe in any rigid approaches that are taken to nutrition. Like, you know, whole food plant-based community saying that, oh, no olive oil is allowed, or like keto people saying no carbohydrate is allowed. I don't think that nutrition is that simple. Right. You know, as a cardiologist, seeing patients every day, you know, every week, I know that one size does not fit all right. So so as we discuss, it's a marathon we run. And you know, one can decide their own healthy eating patterns, uh, you know, depending on their food preference, cultural traditions, and whatever their health needs are, after discussing with their physician, saying that, I do think what we need in this pandemic world and the world after pandemic is (laughs) definitely a you know, a plant forward diet, because we know that, right, right, that lots of vegetables, fruits, green leafy vegetables, legumes, whole grains, nuts, seeds, they do the job. And, you know, going minimally processed food is the key. And, you know, also to remember that just because something is free of animal products, that does not mean it's necessarily healthy. Of course. <laughs> so, in general, I think that basically, like everything else in life, my final message is the balance is the key when it comes to diet.
0: No, I agree with you. You know, and um, this is the point that I've kind of tried to put forth in my podcast also that even in obesity, it's not one size fits all. It's so individualized. Every patient is different. Every patient's needs are different. Every patient's our cause of obesity may be slightly different. So we have to really tailor our practice and we have to tailor the therapeutics to the patient rather than having a cookie cutter approach for everything. Yeah. Right.
2: As a physician, we have a big responsibility when it comes to what diet we recommend and what overall lifestyle we recommend to our patients.
0: No, you're absolutely right. Well, this has been a fun episode. Thank you so much, Purvi, for all your insight into all of this. And it's, it's it's so nice to hear a cardiologist's perspective on all of this. Listeners, don't forget to drop in a review or a comment. And if there are any specific topics that you want me to discuss, you can always write to me at host at decodingobesity.com. And do subscribe for more fun and inspiring episodes. And by the way, if you haven't joined my Decoding Obesity community, just head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook. And I've created this community, which is a safe space where I basically discuss with you all everything related to obesity. I made sure that this remains a very safe and secure environment because I know um, obesity can be a tough disease to deal with. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Burvi, for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. I'll see you all next time.
1: Thank you. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.